0: Good evening there, sloggy kiddos. So, we are reading John R. Erickson's Discovery at Flint Springs. And we're moving right along. We're a little over halfway through the book. We're on about page 76. And the whole book has 153 pages. So we're just over halfway through, and we're gonna start chapter ten. And today is September twenty second, two thousand twenty two. And today we lost Mrs. Hoffaker. Ah, uh, it's super sad. You guys didn't know her too much. Lily knew her a little bit, and I don't know. Maybe you kiddos ran into her a few times but um she was a very sweet lady and mommy knew her very very well and uh it's hard to really I mean you can say a lot of things but it's hard to say anything that you know just makes it better so so I'm not even gonna try because it's it's very sad and she was in a bad accident but um, she's in heaven now and she doesn't feel any more pain, she doesn't worry about anything anymore, she doesn't worry about uh, somebody saying anything mean to her or the temptation to say something mean to anybody else. There's just nothing, nothing related to sin in any way, sin, destruction, death, where she's at because she knew that Jesus died to pay for her sins and she trusted him with her heart and her soul and her spirit after she died and yeah it was a it was not a nice way to go but um she is full of joy now and it won't be but a blink of an eye in eternity's perspective that we're all with her and we're all with each other when we pass from this life to the next one and that might sound a little strange might sound a little shocking and a little bit morbid but that you know we're not going to be on this earth in this time frame forever this is a super short time that we're going to be in this state of reality let's say you can get fancy with your words or you can just use bible words but the coming kingdom and the coming age will last forever and there won't be any sin or death or temptation or satan uh, doing bad things in the world or our fallen sin nature spoiling good things inside of us and outside of us so that's what we have to keep our hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirits set on is an eternity with god and our lord and savior jesus christ together in the heavenly realms where the heavenly realms and this earth are all combined together into some super really cool place that we can't quite imagine but think of the coolest movie where you just said whoa that's really awesome when they were in a very beautiful place or on a another exotic planet and that's what I'm imagining heaven to be like as far as the country and what your eyes see and what it looks like. But anyways, I'd have a hard time just reading and ignoring the fact that all this happened and uh, and not say something about it. But um, we will miss Mrs. Hoffaker, we'll miss Sandy, and we'll grieve with the Hoffakers and... Amanda, Nelson, her daughter, and everybody in Anchorage knew her. So, I'll stop talking about that. Okay, so let's read chapter 5. Uh, chapter 5. Sorry, I looked down at the clock here and it said 5 minutes, so. Let's start on chapter 10, and remember we left off and um, Coy had been sitting in the truck and uh Riley had gotten in a confrontation with these sight robbers. So he's fourteen and he got he got in a confrontation with three adults and one of them hit him. So anyways, let's read. Let's see what goes on here. Chapter ten. As I walk back to the truck I heard the men laughing and talking behind me. Stump congratulated Vernon on the job he'd done on me, and Vernon snarled, "'I hate a mouthy kid!' Coy was waiting in the truck, pale and bug-eyed. As we drove away, he said, "'That man slapped you!' He pointed to the right side of my face, which was beginning to sting. "'And you're getting a black eye!' I wasn't surprised." He'd hit me with an open hand, but there had been plenty of power behind it. I could feel the swelling around my right eye. "'What are we going to do?' Coy muttered. "'You'll see. And please don't chatter. I'm not in the mood for it.' I was so filled with anger, I could hardly talk. There was only one thing on my mind— As we approached the house, Coy spotted a car out front. Riley, someone's at the house. I don't care. I left the truck running and got out. On my way to the house, I passed the car, a black Dodge Brothers sedan. I had a feeling I'd seen it before, but my mind was in a fog and I couldn't remember where. Then, when I breezed through the yard gate... I saw two pretty red-haired girls sitting on the porch, playing a card game. As I neared the porch, they looked up and smiled. Hello, Riley. They were Laura Higgins's little sisters, Rachel and Sally. Any other time, I would have been glad to see them. Not only were they sweet little girls, but they had an older sister who was even nicer and prettier than they were but today I wish they hadn't dropped in for a visit. I entered the house and let the screen door slam behind me. Mother hated the noise of the screen door slamming and had scolded Coy and me about it many times. She was sitting at the table with Laura and Mrs. Higgins. Mother's head snapped up at the slamming of the screen and her eyes bored into me. Riley, what's wrong? She saw my swollen eye and rushed toward me. What on earth? I gave her a quick summary of what had happened. I'm going back over there, Mother, and I'm taking the shotgun. I won't let them come out onto our ranch and destroy that site, the idiots. I started toward the closet where we kept the gun, but Mother blocked my path. Riley, no. Sit down and cool off. I don't want to sit down and cool off. I'm going to get those apes off our land, even if I have to. She stamped her foot on the floor. Riley McDaniels, I am still your mother. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. Now sit down and let me get a cold cloth for your face. The room was as still as a tomb. Coy and the girls had followed me into the house and were standing in the doorway. Laura and Mrs. Higgins sat frozen at the table, staring up at me. Everyone seemed to be holding their breath, waiting to see what would happen next. I was angry and humiliated, but not so much that I was willing to disobey my mother. I sank down in a chair while Mother dashed to the sink for a wet cloth. Laura and Mrs Higgins seemed embarrassed to be caught in the middle of a family crisis and Mrs Higgins said they probably should be going No please stay I said There's no need to rush off I'm sorry about all this I'll be all right Coy I guess you better shut off the truck can can you do it He nodded I think so push the spark lever all the way up That's right "'Thanks.' "'Mother told me to lean my head back, "'and she placed the cool, wet cloth over my face. "'It seemed to help take away some of the pain. "'As I began to relax, "'my anger slipped away like air leaving a balloon. "'I felt weak and noticed that my legs were trembling. "'Mother returned to her chair. "'Who were they?' "'I don't know, Mother.' I'd never seen them before. They look like riffraff, the kind Aaron told us about, men who dig up graves and sell the artifacts. The nerve of that man to strike you on your own land. Mrs. Higgins bobbed her head. I've never heard of anything so brazen. You think we didn't have any laws in this country. Mother said, I wish Daddy were still here. I removed the compress. The eyes of the ladies went to my face. I could tell from the reactions that I had a pretty good shiner. I said, Well, Grampy's gone, and that's too bad, but I'm still here. We promised Dr. Montrose that we would protect the site. Those goons are over there destroying the house I found, and the longer we sit here, the more damage they'll do. I could take Spud with me. Mother shook her head. Riley, you're a very contentious young man, and you have a strong sense of right and wrong. I've always admired that about you. But this is a time for cool heads and clear thinking. Mother, if those men live on the margins of the law, don't you suppose they'll have guns? I'm not ready to sacrifice you for science, no matter how noble it is. If you went over there with a gun, it would be very foolish behavior. I had to admit, she was right. Okay, I agree, but we can't just sit around doing nothing. Why don't you try to call Aaron? He'll know what to do. I had forgotten about the telephone. I sprang from my chair and cranked the phone. It was answered by one of Aaron's clerks at the store. I returned to my chair he's gone for the day Laura had been silent through all this but now she said this might sound obvious but what about the sheriff mother said we can't call Canadian on this telephone she glanced up at the clock on the wall and as late as it is by the time we drove in the town and he drove back out here it would be dark we have a phone at our house, said Laura. If Riley loped up the canyon horseback, he could be there in half an hour. We all agreed that that was a good idea. I asked Laura where the phone was located in the house. She told me and proceeded to explain that you had to lift this black thing out of another black thing that's shaped like a fork, but be sure both wires are connected to the battery "'because sometimes one of of them comes loose, and... "'Mrs. Higgins gave her head a shake. "'Laura, why don't you just ride with him? "'You could be there in time, in the time it takes to explain that contrary thing. "'But come straight back.' "'As Laura and I were leaving the house, Coy came up to me. "'Riley, I wouldn't mind going along for the ride. "'It might be... no. Fun.' please? No, Coy, it'll be a hard ride and you won't enjoy it. His face fell. Then I'll have to stay here and play old maid with those girls. Maybe next time. Laura and I went down to the barn to whistle up the horses. I rattled the feed bucket and they came galloping in from the pasture. Dolly, my little mare, was the first into the corral, and as usual, she had her ears pinned back and was ready to bite the other horses away from the feed. We caught two horses, Dolly for Laura and Snips for me. I thought Laura might enjoy riding my mare. Snips was the big red dun gelding Grampy Dawson rode when he was at the ranch. He was a good gentle horse, but I had never particularly enjoyed riding him. He lacked the fire and quick action of Dolly, and when I was on his back, I felt as though I was riding a lumber wagon. Grampy had left his saddle in the barn, and I clinched it up I cinched it up for on Dolly. I figured the stirrups would be about the right length for Laura, and that turned out to be correct. so I didn't have to relace the stirrup leathers. Passing the house, we waved goodbye to Mother and Mrs. Higgins. Coy was sitting on the step with his chin resting on both hands. He watched us with a glum expression while one of Laura's sisters dealt the cards. Beyond the house, we gave the horses their heads and loped north into the upper end of Pickett Canyon. Now and then we had to slow down for rocks and heavy brush, but for the most part it was a fast trip. Once we had climbed the cap rock out of the canyon, we were on flat prairie country and we made even better time. Do you know what that means to give a horse his head? When you're riding, you have a bridle over the horse's nose and a bit in his mouth. So you always kind of keep cinched back on that bridle so they don't want to go too fast. But whenever you give the horse its head, you leave slack out on your bridle so he can go faster and bob his head a little more without that bit in his mouth hurting him and digging, you know, wanting to bring him back, bring his head back into control and make him walk slower. So you just let him go faster by leaving out some of the reins. When we reach the Higgins place... Laura rang up the central operator at the telephone company office in Perryton and asked to be connected to the Hemphill County Sheriff's Office. Since this was a long-distance call, it took the operator several minutes to make the connection. When Sheriff South came on the line, Laura handed me the receiver. The sheriff had kind of a squeaky voice, and he sounded impatient. Hearing his voice, I formed a mental picture of Jake South a shriveled old man in an oversized felt hat sitting at his desk in the basement of the courthouse, leaning on his elbows and barking into the telephone. I told him the story about the pot hunters trespassing on our land. The line was silent for a moment. Then he said, They're hunting arrowheads? Well, yes, sir, but they're also digging on the site, and as I mentioned... "'Son, half the people in this county hunt arrowheads. "'It's not exactly a crime. "'I've got a cigar box full of them myself. "'Sir, this is an important archaeological site, "'and they're trespassing.' "'Well, Thunder, let Abner Dawson handle it. "'Sheriff, Grampy went down to Mineral Wells to play his fiddle. "'We don't know when he'll be back.' "'That figures,' Sheriff grumbled." "'Well, you called on a bad day. "'Mrs. Heffley got into her husband's homemade wine "'and passed out on Main Street, "'drove her car right through the south wall of the train depot. "'Really? Was she hurt?' "'No, she wasn't hurt. "'Just drunker than Cooter Brown. "'But we got a car sitting in the middle of the depot, "'and the rail people are raising holy Ned. "'There's no way I can make it out to your place today or tomorrow.' And maybe not even the next day. Three days? And if you ask me, it's a bunch of foolishness anyway. Let them collect a few arrowheads and, then, and they'll leave. If they ain't gone in two days, call me back. Sheriff, it's not just the arrowheads. They're digging up an important... Hello? Sheriff South? He had hung up. Laura was waiting for my report. He's not coming. He says he's got too much to do in town. But I think he's just... I think he's just trying to turn the page. I think he just doesn't want to drive all the way out here. He doesn't understand about archaeology. Nobody around here does. I'm sorry, she said. We mounted up and started the journey back home. Riding up to Laura's house. We had put a heavy sweat on the horses, and now we let them move at a more leisurely pace. Laura said, When did you get so interested in archaeology? I've never heard you mention it before. I told her about Dr. Montrose's visit, the work I'd done exposing rocks at the Flint Springs site, and the reading Coy and Mother and I had been doing at night. I gave her a quick lesson on panhandle archaeology and explained the difference between archaeology and collecting arrowheads as a hobby. Down in the canyon, we stopped our horses beneath the shade of a big hackberry tree. Laura had been listening with keen interest. My, my, she said, you've become quite the scholar. You've never shown that kind of interest in schoolwork. Archaeology is different. It's more than dry facts on a page. When you pick up a flint tool or a piece of pottery, you're holding something that was made a thousand or two thousand years ago by someone who lived on this very ranch. It makes me want to know more about those people. That's fascinating, Riley. I'm beginning to understand why you got so mad. They're destroying something that can't be replaced. That's right, and they're too dumb to know it. You said the professor's coming back to do an excavation? I nodded. That's what he said, if there's anything left. Would you mind terribly if I came over and took part? I swung my gaze around and stared at her. For a moment, I couldn't speak, and I I guess she took, took it the wrong way. She looked away and said, Oh, never mind. It's not important. Laura, I think that would be great. She brightened and looked at me with those big blue eyes that reminded me of a deep pool of spring water. Honestly, you would think it was you wouldn't think it was awkward having a girl around. Not at all. No, absolutely not. I'm just surprised that you'd be interested. It's hard dirty work. Surely we can come up with a bar of soap and a bucket of water. A shadow passed over her face. But I'll have to talk to Mother into letting me go, and that won't be easy. She's very protective, you know. Just tell her you'll be with me. She studied me for a long moment. A smile fluttered at the corners of her mouth, like a butterfly trying to get out of a box. I don't think you understand mothers very well and we need to get back to the house before she sends out a posse. A posse? What are you talking about? We better hurry, that's all. I don't want mother to worry. She gave Dolly her head and they went loping down the canyon in a flash of red hair and blue cotton cloth. I sat there for a moment watching her then thumped old lumber wagon in the sides and tried to catch up. Chapter 11 Both mothers were on the porch when we rode up to the house. Mrs. Higgins stood at stiff attention and had one hand resting on her brow, shading her eyes from the sun. She was gazing off into the distance like a ship's captain looking for land. When we came riding up I could see relief on her face. We left the horses tied to the fence and went up to the porch. Laura and her mother exchanged some kind of secret message with her eyes and my mother whispered, You should have been back twenty minutes ago. We got back as soon as we could. I guess we were talking about archaeology and weren't watching the time. Mother nodded. Well, what did the sheriff say? When I told her, she seemed annoyed, but not surprised. I think Sheriff South needs to retire. He's been a good sheriff, but there comes a time when a man should step aside for someone younger. What are we supposed to do now? You think it would do any good if I went over to the spring and talked to those men? No, they're not the kind of men who show much respect for a lady. Mother, Spud and I could... She cut me off with a raised finger. Mrs. Higgins said they needed to start for home so that her husband wouldn't worry that they had car trouble on the way. Even though our houses were only five straight-line miles apart, there was no decent road through the canyons. You had to take a circuitous route and follow the only road that climbed up the cap rock. When you drove between our houses, the distance stretched into seventeen miles, and took most of an hour. Mrs. Higgins left Mother with a sack of fresh okra from her garden, and Mother gave her two jars of her wild plum jelly. We walked them them to their car, and I found myself beside Laura. I said, If Dr. Montrose still wants to do the excavation, I'll let you know the date and time. I opened the door for her. But if I go to the trouble of riding all the way to your house, I hope I won't find you and Jackie Tinsley sitting in the porch glider. Jackie was one of our classmates at Notla School and had shown more than a casual interest in Laura. She raised one eyebrow. Well, you never know. His family has a lot of money, and Daddy says we should never hold that against a fellow. I felt my temper rising. Laura, I really don't think. She stepped into the car and closed the door. She smiled at me through the window and her lips formed the words, I'm just teasing. Then she rolled down the glass. Thanks for letting me ride your mare. When the car pulled away from the house, I realized that Coy was standing beside me. What were you two whispering about? "'Coy, if you must know, we were discussing the Mississippi River. Do you know that it floods every spring and deposits huge amount of silt at the mouth?' His eyes rolled up inside his head, and he groaned. "'Riley, you're the biggest liar I ever met! If you were talking about the Mississippi River, I'll eat your shoe!' I started toward the house. What we were talking about is none of your business, but you can be sure it wasn't about you. I don't appreciate you leaving me behind. I can ride a horse as well as Laura can. Oh, sure. You get saddle sores just looking at a horse. Besides, you have those two girls all yourself, so what's your complaint? Coy glanced over his shoulders to make sure Mother wasn't listening. Those are the silliest girls I ever met. You didn't enjoy playing Old Maid? Riley, I hate that game. And you know what they played after that? Hospital. They wanted me to be a wounded soldier just back from France so they could be nurses. I'll bet that was fun. He stared at me through the lenses of his glasses. Are you crazy? I quit and played with a dog. You know, we're lucky we don't have any sisters. Can you imagine having girls around the house all the time? They're so peculiar. I got a chuckle out of Coy's fuming. He had a point about girls, but I didn't want to tell him so. After we finished the evening chores, Mother said I could try to call Aaron again. It was around 7 o'clock when I cranked the phone. This time, he was there. After I told him about the diggers in the West Pasture, His voice dropped into a serious tone. I see. Mencken called such creatures gaping bipeds. Gaping bipeds. My mind formed a picture of a hairy ape man staring with his mouth open. I had to laugh. That's a great description, but who's Mencken? H.L. Mencken. He edits a journal called American Mercury and writes with the sting of a scorpion. I don't always agree with his politics, but his prose is delightfully wicked. You should read his descriptions of President Coolidge. Oh, by any chance, did you write down the license plate number of that truck in the pasture? No, sir, I didn't even think of it. I turned to Coy. You didn't write down their license number, did you? No, but I memorized it. Trying to hide my surprise, I handed him the phone. Aaron, this is Coy. Hi. It was a Texas plate HC315. Oh, thanks. Bye. Wearing a triumphant little smirk, Coy handed the phone back to me. Aaron said, Riley, let me make a few calls. I'll get back to you within the hour. I hung up the phone and turned to my little brother. How did you happen to memorize the license plate number? Oh, I figured it might come in handy. That's what they do in the detective books. I'm surprised you didn't think about it. I had other things on my mind. How did you remember the number? Coy studied his fingernails and Put on a show of being nonchalant. Those of us with natural detective skills just notice those things, I guess. Hurry up and tell me. Okay, he smiled. I'll reveal my secret. H.C. is Hutchinson County. Sparrow is in Hutchinson County, right? 315 is the n- month and year I was born. H.C. 315. Now admit that you're impressed. I'll admit that you were lucky. Anyone could remember a tag number that had his birth date on it. Coy drew himself up like a snake. Yeah, but you have to look at the tag to begin with, and that's more than you did. If my birthday had been on that tag, I would have noticed. You were just lucky. Coy turned to Mother who was reading in her chair by the window. "Mother, Riley won't admit that I'm more observant than he is." Mother's eyes came up from her book. She rose from the chair, walked to the hall closet, and returned to her and returned to her chair, wearing a pair of earmuffs. She went back to reading her book and ignored us. I had to laugh. That was a new and creative response to our bickering, and she looked pretty funny, wearing earmuffs in the middle of summer. True to his word, Aaron called back an hour later. His name is Vernon McElroy, and he's a certified bad guy. Bootlegging, assault, theft. And get this, he served as a city policeman in Sparrow for six months. I've probably crossed paths with him before. Oh, and there's an outstanding warrant for him in Lubbock County for car theft. How did you learn all that? I'm the mayor of Sparrow, Riley. I have connections. Do you know if they're camped in the pasture? No, sir. Do you want me to go check? Absolutely not. Stay away from them. My guess is they'll be there overnight. Looting takes time, even for men who are good at it. Now listen. Be around the house at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and have Abner's truck ready to go. Oh, and make sure there aren't any cows standing in the road. You're going to fly over here? Yes, and I'll have the sheriff with me. I wouldn't be too sure about that. When I talked to him, he didn't seem the least bit interested in our problems. You just have to use the right approach. How's your mother? I glanced at her and smiled. Well, at the moment she's reading a book and wearing earmuffs, so she won't have to listen to me and my little brother arguing. He roared at that. Good solution. Put her on the line and I'll say hello. I'll see you in the morning. At 9.55 the next morning, we heard the drone of an airplane in the distance. Moments later... Aaron's Vega flew a pass down the road, checking for cows, then landed from the north into the wind. He taxied the plane to the house and shut off the engine. The door opened and there was Aaron, looking fresh and exuberant in a starched white shirt and plaid vest. He hopped down to the ground and gave a hand to his passenger, Sheriff Jake South, whose face had acquired the greenish color of spoiled cheese. Aaron explained that the air had been a little choppy between Canadian and the ranch, and that this had been the sheriff's first experience in a flying machine. Sheriff South greeted us with the briefest nods. I couldn't tell if he was irritated at us for interrupting his day, or if he was merely sick. When he lurched around to the other side of the plane and Launched his breakfast onto the ground, I decided it was a combination of both. Aaron smiled and gave me a lingering glance. Your black eye. Vernon. He nodded and tightened his lips. When the sheriff was occupied, Aaron explained how he had coaxed him into coming to the ranch. I asked if he owned a, a dog, and he said that he did. A bloodhound. Bloodhounds eat a lot. I happen to have a thousand pounds of bagged dog food in my warehouse, so we worked a little trade. In flying in the Vega, he didn't have to drive over 30 miles of bad road. He has a bad back, you know. We heard the sheriff behind the plane. I didn't think about him getting airsick. Mother was astounded. "'What were you doing with a thousand pounds of dog food? You don't even own a dog!' "'It sold for two dollars at an auction. I've had it in my warehouse for six months and had just about decided I might have to eat it myself.' We all stared at him in wonder. Mother said, "'Sometime I'd like to see this warehouse of yours.' It must be as full as Fibber McGee's closet. I don't know who Fibber McGee is, you guys. We'll have to look that one up. Aaron smiled and his gaze slid toward the horizon. It's large and it's full. Many people buy something. Most people buy something when they need or want it. I buy when the price is right. Later, I find a use for it. After a few moments, the sheriff joined us. His face had changed color from green to gray. He carried his black felt hat and mopped his face with a red bandana. He turned his grumpy glare on me. Well, you got me out here. Let's get started. I still have problems in town. And that's the end of chapter 11 alright kiddos I love you very much I will be praying for you and I hope you have a great rest of your week at school and uh, Lily Joy the physical therapy place called and said they're ready to schedule an appointment for you if you want to go so I'll have to get mommy that number or we can wait till I get home but yes they are ready to do pt with you and yeah i'll see you all on october 5th that's still two weeks away this is me paying back the week that i got off in june when it was nice so anyways sleep tight i love you guys night night (laughs)